0: Thank <music> you. My name is Christy Warren. I am a retired firefighter paramedic from the city of Berkeley in California. I'm sure everybody's heard of that. Uh, So I'm here to tell my story. So I started, I went to college right out of high school, wanted to be a doctor. And then I took an EMT class just for fun. And then I got a job as an EMT and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So I started working on the ambulance I went to started going to school part-time and then decided I really don't want to be a doctor. I want to work in the field. And so uh, I went to paramedic school and this is, so when I was 19 is when I started working on the ambulance as an EMT. And then I pretty quickly went to paramedic school and worked in Vallejo, which is uh, a pretty, a pretty tough town. You know, we had the highest homicide rate in the nation one year and it's, it's, uh, yeah, a very, very violent town and very, we had a lot of freeways and highways. And, and so the trauma was just uh, pretty extensive. So I worked there for procrastinate. I don't finish anything. It's like I need, it's like I need somebody dying in front of me or somebody's house burning down right in front of me for me to really get off my ass and, and do it. So I did this and, and I was actually really good at it. And, um, I kept doing it and, you know, being a woman and I'm kind of short and five, six. And, and so I I really wanted to prove to everybody that I could do the job. And, you know, I always swore that if I was the weakest link there that I, you know, I'd step down, I wouldn't do the job. And, but I found I could do the job and I, I did it pretty well. And so, yeah, I was cruising along and then 25 years later, things started kind of getting kind of weird. Like, so people at work started telling me that I was being a much bigger asshole than I usually am, um, I was being really irrational at home. I started having nightmares, like work nightmares. Started having anxiety, and you know, at first I panicked, like, "Oh my God, what is wrong with me?" And I can't tell anybody that I'm having problems, and so that it pretty much culminated in a we. Let's just back it up a little bit. We had a, a fatality fire that I feel like I screwed up on. And, um, you know, the guy was dead when we got him and he was dead for a while. So I really have no doubt that I didn't cause his death, but you still, you know, kind of beat yourself up for it. So that call kind of weighed on me. And, um, and that's kind of after that is when my like, kind of like downhill started, you know, and all the anxiety and nightmares and stuff started and, And finally in May, I went to, that was in September when that fire hit. And then May of the next year, I'm like, I got to do something about this because I'm a mess. And so I went to a therapist, you know, didn't tell anybody, said, you know, something's wrong with me. You got to fix this so I can go back to work and everything will be fine. And so we talked a little bit and she's like, I think you have PTSD. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't have PTSD. I can't get PTSD. You know, I'm one of the toughest people at work and I'm the person You know, that I don't know when things are falling apart that people look to to put it back together. And I'm not patting myself on my back. That's just that's just kind of who I am, you know, and and then and then it just kept getting worse. And my therapist kept saying, you need to take time off. You need to take time off. I'm like, I'm not taking any time off. And things just kept getting worse. And I pretty much stopped sleeping. And, you know, guys at work were like moving out of my station because I guess I was being such a jerk. So finally in August, so I tried to suck it up all the way through August. And in August, I was like, all right, I I'm. I have some vacation coming up anyways. I'll take a couple more weeks off. We can get trades. Like, yeah, people just work for you. Um, And so I had a couple trades and I was able to get like four weeks off. And I'm like, all right, four weeks off. I thought for sure it was going to make everything better. And I felt a lot better. And I went back to work. They, everything came back. It just came ripping back and it was even worse. And so I kept working and then, and then I started crying and then I'd cry. I, I'd be at work. We work 48 hours on uh 96 hours off and I'd, I'd get off work in the morning, you know, wave goodbye to everybody. Have a good four day. I'll see you in a couple of days and get in my car. And as soon as I pull out of the driveway, I started crying and I don't cry. I'm, I never cry unless I'm really, really angry, but I'm like where in the hell is this coming from? And I'd cry all the way home and I get home and my wife would see it. And I just, you know, I kept doing this and then I started crying at work on calls, like, or I usually like after a call, you know, we had a guy who had a broken arm and I get done with the call and, and I start crying and I'm like, this is awful. And then I started feeling suicidal because I just couldn't take this anymore, and I'm so ashamed that I didn't want anybody at work to know that I couldn't go to anybody at work and say I am too weak to do my job. It just couldn't happen, you know. I, I like thought about, well, if I, I can run into, run into a tree in my car going really fast, and even if it doesn't kill me even if like I could just end up in a coma for like a month, I could get some time off work without having to tell anybody. And so it just kept kind of happening like that. And then one morning I got off work and I was like, you're not going to cry. You are absolutely not going to cry. And so I made it home and I didn't cry. And I was like, sweet, like I got this. And I sent my wife a text and I said, Hey, I I made it all the way home. I didn't cry. I think I got this. And then I was gonna meet a friend and play tennis and you know, I changed my clothes and hopped in my car and I'm like super happy. And um I started driving and then everything just hit me like harder than it's ever hit me before. And I started like just sobbing and I was like, I have to end this now. I can't do this anymore. I can't tell anybody how weak I am. You know, I've spent so long trying to show how tough and strong. I am that I feel like such a fraud. And so I was going to kill myself and, um, you know, and I see a tree and then I like, think of a reason why I shouldn't do that tree. And then I'm like, well, I don't want, you know, I don't want whoever comes, you know, responding on me. I don't want to like put them through that. And so, you know, maybe if I had a poll, it won't be as bad. I could just, put me in the hospital. You know, I just all this stuff was going through my head, but I just had to find a way to end the pain. It wasn't at all about, you know, screw you to somebody or you didn't do this for me. So I'm going to show you. It wasn't like that at all. It was just I couldn't take it anymore. And the shame, like I said, was just overwhelming. So I kept telling myself, just make it to the tennis courts, just make it to the tennis courts. And I did. And I sent my wife a text and I said, no matter what I say, no matter how much I say, I'm fine after my four day because a four day would go on. And as I get a little bit of sleep and I'm away from work for a few days, I start to feel a little bit better. I'm like, oh, I got this. So I said, no matter how much I beg to go back to work and tell you that I'm fine. I said, you can't let me go back to work. And she sent me a text back. She said, I already made that decision. Um, so that was going to be the last time she let me work. So anyway, so that afternoon I got home and, um, And I made the phone call to work saying, I'm like, you know, I I wasn't sure how to go off on that. You know, I had to fill out workers comp and, you know, the battalion chief I talked to said, you know, what is this for? Do you need to go to a doctor? Like, you know, if you hurt your leg, like what, you know, what do we need to do for you? And I told him it was PTSD. and, And he was actually really, really nice to me and super caring and, you know, said, you know, if you need anything, just let me know. And so, uh, so they're kind of started my, you know, trying to get better. And that was August 6th that I got off that morning. And, um, it's like six years later, seven years later. And I'd say it took a good solid six years to really get better and to feel better. And I still have nightmares. I still wake up screaming sometimes. Um, I still have anxiety will hit me out of nowhere. Sometimes I still have you know, um oh, one of the things that happens is that you get these like these calls that I've been on, like in 20 years ago that I never even thought about. They start playing in your head like over and over and over. And you just keep seeing these calls and and these, you know, just this horrible stuff and that you can't get it out of your head. And that's the other thing that you just want to end because it, it just won't stop no matter what you do. You know, I'd be playing tennis with my wife, and she'd stop. She'd look at me, and she goes, "Where are you right now?" I'd say, "I'm sorry." I got, you know, I'm in, I'm in Vallejo extricating this lady who wrapped her car around the tree, and that's where my brain would be all the time. And um, so, yeah, so it took it took me going to a retreat that's made for first responders with PTSD, and um, it was finally being with people who. We're going through what I was going through and went through what I went through to make me realize that I am not the only one. There's nothing wrong with me. I mean, there's something wrong with me, but it's not me. I'm not crazy. I'm not a wuss. I'm not, you know, a crybaby. And 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 I also learned there that it's actually a physical injury. It's not just an emotional sad injury. It's an actual physical injury. Your brain changes shape. When they do a scan, scans look completely different from somebody with a normal brain and somebody who's got PTSD, the chemicals in your brain change. And that's why so many of us go on meds. And that's the other thing too, is I finally went on meds and that made a huge difference. And, and it's not like, oh, I, I need these as a crutch. It's like, if you had diabetes and you needed insulin, you're not going to look at insulin as like, you're a wuss, you know, just tough, suck it up. It's like, no, you, you need this. Your body isn't making it and. And so the meds that, you know, a lot of us go on is, you know, or even people who don't have PTSD and depression and everything, and it's because our brain chemistry is wrong and we need something to fix it. So yeah, it was a really long road and, you know, people stuck by me and, um, you know, what I I really had to do is I had to change the dialogue in my head because PTSD tells you you're a piece of shit, you know, you're a big pussy and, um, and you have to change that that dialogue in your brain. You just, you have to start telling yourself that you are a good person and you're enough and you're worthy. And like I tell people, I go, even if you don't believe it, cause I didn't believe it. You, you ha- just have to start saying it and start rewiring your brain. And, and so, you know, something I want to talk about a little bit, since I know this is a crime show, I just want to talk a little bit about how, you know, these crime scenes affect, you know, police and fire and paramedics and even dispatchers and, and all these first responders. And so we go out on these things, like on a regular basis, you know, not everything makes the news. Um, a lot of the stuff that I saw in Vallejo doesn't make the news. And I should say pretty much all of it didn't make the news and something that tends to cause a lot of us to get PTSD or kind of like, or I should say, push us over the edge is when we're on a, a call, you know, really bad scene. Um, and and, you know, one thing about, sorry, I'm, like, backing up and going all over the place, but one one thing about working in Vallejo, people would ask me, like, oh, my God, like, you know, how do you put up with the the blood and the guts and the gore? And I said, you know, that really doesn't bother me. I said, what really bothers me is the way people treat each other, you know, the violence that goes on. So bad car wrecks were horrible, but they were, like, accidents, and but it was, like, the crime scenes that just, you know, and especially if you had to sit there. I mean, we'd have to be on scene sometimes for an hour, you know, waiting for the cops or, or not just waiting for the cops, but, um, waiting for the coroner because we had to give them paperwork or, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why we'd be on scene. Um, so like one call that I really remember, it was, uh, I was probably 23 when it happened. Um, a woman was beat to death with a fire poker and they later on found out that it, you know, is her husband and they got him and everything, but so we were on, we went on this call, you know, we came rushing in with all of our bags and everything, our medical bags, and the cops are standing there, they looked at us and they're like, yeah, she's DOA. And so back then we still had to put her on the monitor and, um, and see that she is flatline. And so just to confirm that she was dead. And so, um, so, you know, we went in there and we did that. And, you know, I had to write a report and I had to wait for the coroner and, so we were there for a long time and, and here's this woman who's just beat to death by her husband and just like the stillness of a dead body. It's just, I can't even, I, I can't even describe it. It's, it's, there's, it's very, very still. And you know, you're in there and you start, you start taking everything in, you you hear the sounds of the house, you You know, I can tell you every single thing about that house. I can tell you, you know, the carpet was like this kind of dark green color. She had on black pants and a blue shirt. You know, she had black hair. They had a small little kitchen. Um, You know, they had wood drawers and cabinets and everything, but it's kind of like that fake crappy wood. They had uh, white tile, you know, on on the sink. Um, I could I could explain every single detail that house to you and so we were there the corner got there I gave him my paperwork and get back in the animals and then you know we go available and then they send us off to the next call and so we never we never really process that and because back then especially you know if you talked about that or that saying that was hard it was like you know you're you know you're worthless or you're you're weak and you can't handle this job and so people aren't going to want to work with you and it's really funny because as i go through all this and talk to more people it's like so many of us were like thinking the same thing but nobody was willing to you know to kind of stand up and and talk I i talked to a therapist one time who sees a lot of firefighters from a particular department and she's telling me about how she'd had a firefighter in who was talking about, you know, his issues and PTSD. And he was like, I just can't let anybody know. He goes, I, I especially can't let my captain know. And she's like, it's killing me because I can't tell him this, but his captain's coming in for the same thing right afterwards. And it's like, if they had only just talked to each other. So that's part of the problem is that we don't talk to each other and, but it's getting better, you know, in these crime scenes and these crimes, they have such a ripple effect for so many people you know, the dispatcher listens to, you know, the screaming on the phone and, you know, they'll, they hear the shots and they hear the kids screaming and, and they're just sitting there on the phone and they can't do anything. And so it's so hard on them. And a lot of times they don't even find out what happens, you know, and then the paramedics that are supposed to save somebody's life and, you know, to, to rush their lights and sirens and running in with all of our bags. And then it's like, yeah, there's nothing you can do. They're dead already. And it's kind of like, oh, well, like what now? And and then the cops are with the victim forever, like hours and hours and hours and hours. And, um, you know, then it's up to the cops that, to solve the crime and they have to look at crime scene photos. And, you know, if you think about all this, like just one call, like the one call that I described, like somebody having to go through that. I mean, I mean, even my reaction to myself is like, man, that's like, how, do, how does anybody do that? And, and we do this like all the time. Like all the time, like I could, I could just sit here for an hour and rattle off, you know, sh- people who've been shot, you know, like a 12 year old was shot in the, a gang initiation, you know, right in front of his house. And I mean, I could just go, you know, I could just go on the, you know, this 19 year old kid who went out to uh, get milk, you know, his mom says, Hey, will you go get us some milk? And he's walking out to a car and this gang caught him and beat him to death with a golf club. And, you know, I, like I said, I could just go on and on and on, but it, it's like us first responders, we see this stuff all the time and yeah, it's hard and it weighs, wears on us. And, you know, we, I can't say we know what we're, we were getting ourselves into. We actually had absolutely no idea what we were getting ourselves into because nobody really can prepare for that. Nobody told, nobody tells us that, you know, they talk about, you know, wh- when you can pronounce somebody dead or, you know. What you do if you have a dead body, you know, like the procedure, like you have to call the police, you have to call the coroner, you know, blah, 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 blah. But nobody, nobody talks about like, like what you do with yourself or, you know, what you do with each other or when the families are like, how many families I've had to tell, like, I'm so sorry, but, you know, your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, your son is dead. And, um, yeah, it's brutal. And so, you know, I just kind of ask all your listeners to, um, just kind of like think of us a little, you know what I mean? As, as part of that whole, not to bum you out or anything like that, but it's, it's really part of the story. And um, I know a lot of cops can get really caught up, you know, in cases and just feel like it's so much their responsibility to bring justice for that family and that stuff will haunt them forever. So, yeah. And you know, not everybody gets PTSD. I would have told you I there's no way in a hundred years I'd ever get it. In fact, when I got it, people at work told me like I was the last person that they ever thought would get it. So it's like, who knows who's, who gets it. So, yeah, so that's kind of my story. And so uh, I had a friend who went to that retreat that I went to too, and he's a, a police officer from Carlsbad and he was an undercover cop and those undercover cops, it's really, really rough. And he... Um, it got really, really rough for him because you're living in that dark seedy world and you can't talk about it with anybody. And um, it's so easy to get wrapped up in it. And so anyway, so he, he started doing the drugs that he was taking from people and, you know, he was a disaster and he ended up getting fired. Anyways, he recovered and is doing really well. And so he started a podcast for first responders and he kept asking me to be on it. And I'm like, no, that's not for me. I'm not like, I'm not podcast material. So he kept, Wearing me down, and I did it. And telling my story was so incredible, and then to hear my story back it was like almost hearing it from a third party. And it like had such a bigger effect on me. Like, like if I tell myself something, it's one thing, but if I listen to somebody tell my story, it, it just seems so much more significant. And so, anyways, and then um, I started writing a book, and so I wanted to kind of get my you know, my name out there. And so one way to do it is to be on people's podcasts. And so I was on a couple other podcasts. And then I was on this one woman's podcast that uh it's a mental health network. And when we were done, she asked me if I'd do a podcast for her or on her network. And, you know, I first said, Yeah, no, I'm not, you know, it's just a total I'm not good enough for that. I'm not fancy. I hate my voice. I'm not technical. All that kind of crap. And then I was finally like, oh my God, just think of how many people you could help and this is just falling right in your lap. And so I started my podcast and, you know, I still think I'm terrible at it. I say, um oh, a lot, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff that we critique ourselves for. But, but, oh my God, it's like, it's helping people. I get, I get emails from people saying, I had no idea what was wrong with me. I thought I was the only one and I thought I screwed up and, and now I know what's wrong with me and now I'm going to go get some help. And just that feeling of knowing that we're not the only one because we in our culture just, you know, it's all about suck it up buttercup. And, you know, there is a point to that, like when you're on the call, you do have to suck it up. But afterwards, you know, it's okay to, you know, to process it or or say, man, that that just sucked. And um, because we're human beings and really, I, I believe our jobs are inhuman, like it's not. Something you can, that really any human should have to go through and see. And, you know, people have 25, 30 years on the job. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. But, um, so anyway, so uh, the podcast and I'm uh, doing, um, it's, it's doing really well. And it's called The Firefighter Deconstructed. And I'm not on the show to plug my podcast. Kenzie told me to plug it. And I wrote a book. I still don't have a title for it. Um, but that's going to get published uh, next year. I'm super excited about that. And um, and yeah, and I'm doing really well. And it, it took a lot of work, a lot of really hard work. <clears throat> it took a lot of people standing behind me and uh, supporting me. And it, it took my spouse to just not give up on me, even though sometimes spouses do because they just can't take it anymore um, you know, our anger and our drinking and, um, you know, like I say, drinking makes it better until it makes it a lot worse. So, um, so yeah, so that's my story and I'm doing really good now. And I'm like, I've never been happier. And I I can even say that PTSD was the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me deal with a lot of shit in my own life. And it made me face myself and finally say like, I, I am good enough. I don't, have to run into burning buildings or, you know, be a superhero to be worthy. I can be, I'm enough and worthy. Just, just being Christy Warren sitting on the couch. So that's my story. Oh, so you can find my podcast. It's on Apple, you know, iTunes or iPodcast. It's on Spotify. It's on really any platform that you get your podcasts. And uh, like I said, it's called the firefighter deconstructed. So that's yeah you find it anywhere that you find podcasts. And, and so another way you can get a hold of me is I do have a website for my podcast. It's uh fire I think it's I can't remember what it is. It's it's firefighterdeconstructed.com. So not the firefighter just it's firefighterdeconstructed.com. And you can there's a contact us or a contact me button on there. You can contact me that way or you can also email me My email is F F B E T T Y 20 at gmail.com. So it's firefighter, Betty 20 at gmail.com. And yeah, please, if you have any questions or you want to reach out or anything, you have anything at all to say or ask, yeah, please reach out to me and I'll, uh, I'll for sure answer. Then I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all those other goofy places.